Welcome to our North Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you. For further information about our church, please visit churchnorth.com or check out our social media at Church North. Today's speaker is Pastor Dave Niblock. We're going to continue with our gospel series. How many of you are enjoying our gospel series? This is our third week. Opening week, we kind of set the scene of what the Gospels are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who wrote the Gospels? What what purpose were they for? Who were they written to? The context of them. And um, it's been a little bit different the last couple of weeks as we spent some time just to teach around these amazing four books. And uh, last week, I spoke about the book of Matthew, written to the Jews to persuade them that Jesus was, in fact, the king of the Jews, which is ultimately what he died as. The sign even said the king of the Jews. They were mocking him, but actually it was true. But he wasn't just king of the Jew. He was also king of the Gentile. As prophetic word throughout the Old Testament showed that Jesus was who people said he would be. And today we're going to continue in our third week on this gospel series. And um, I'm looking forward to speak about this. And so we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we are going today. As we are turning there, when, I get, when you leave church today, can I encourage you to say a little prayer for Leeds United? Today, 2 o'clock, they need it. <laughs> they really need it. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us Whatever we ask. Hmm. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, well, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't even know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant. They became angry with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, guys, guys, guys. He's a proper leader. He sees some issues in his team. Pulls them together and says, we need to have a little chat about this. You know what those who are regarded, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. In week one, I showed a picture on the screen of the four Gospels and the picture of Jesus that we find in each of the Gospels. If that is there, it can come on the screen. And we see that Matthew, the portrait of Jesus, is that he is the king. Well, today I'm going to spend some time teaching you about Jesus in the book of Mark as a king, but also a servant. This is Jesus, the servant. 
Right now in our household, we are at the stage where all of our children desire to sit in the front seat. (laughs) There is a battle for the front seat. As adults, it's like, why do you want to sit in the front seat, sit in the back seat? But how many of you know to a six-year-old, to a three-year-old, to a ten-year-old, sitting in the front seat is the best seat as you have the position of authority (laughs) next to the driver. You're able to see what others can't see and you're able to look back and lord it over your siblings. I am in the front. Any other parents have that issues? Have any other parents graduated from those kind of issues? I don't get what it is. What is this battle for the front seat? I tell you what, it's annoying. That's what it is. Thing is, it doesn't just stop when you become like a teenager. I've seen adults trying to board a plane on Ryanair. Battle to get on the plane first. I don't understand this, this obsession with getting on a plane first. It's not going to leave without you if you are in the right place. Why sit on a plane? I'm, I'm the last to get on the plane. I don't see the people barging, trying to get on. People pay money (laughs) to be first. I'd get it if you're in first class BA going to LA and you have your Prosecco and you have your film and you have your business class seat. But Ryanair, you've paid eight quid for your seat. You don't need to pay another 50 quid to get on first. There is this desire to be first. Even on Leeds train station, I'm just sharing everything with you now. I get the train regularly. You know when the train pulls in and it's about, everyone's like, <laughs> see a crew of people there just waiting. It's almost like, I'm see, I've got your eye. I know you're a 70-year-old woman, but my elbow is going to be knocking you out. And as soon as the doors open, they're straight on. They can't even let the people off and they're barging on. Then they get their seat. The train is packed. And as long as I've got my seat, all is good. You're 52. (laughs) It's the desire to be first and not last. In fact, when I was driving today down to church with with Abs and um, two of our children in our car, we we saw one house and at the front of their house they have a grass lawn. Okay, but their next door neighbor, who they share the house with, they share the lawn with. And this house had obviously cut the grass yesterday, but only cut their half of the grass. Left the other half, it was about three meters the other half. So you've got really nice short grass here, and this side is just long. I said to Abs, I do not understand who would do that. Who would leave? And cut like half of their grass. And if that is you, you need to be rebuked today. (laughs) And you need to be challenged. And if that is the only thing you leave from this message, take it. Cut the grass that doesn't belong to you. If you're cutting your grass, come on, cut the other grass. Can I get a round of applause for that? (laughs) Just getting some stuff off my chest at the start of this. But it is so true. Mark chapter 10 is basically Jesus saying, don't just cut your grass, cut their grass. 
Don't try and race to get on the plane or the train before somebody else. Just don't try and be first at every single thing you do in life. Just take a step back and realize sometimes it's better to be last than it is to be first. And sometimes it's better to serve than it is to be served. Everyone wants to be first at the event, but nobody wants to be last at the event to lock up when everybody is left. And Mark takes us through this gospel. John Mark, who ends up going on a mission trip uh, in, the New Testament, in the New Testament, and Paul and Barnabas have a bit of an issue with, with John Mark. It is the same John Mark who writes this gospel and it is in fact the oldest of all of the gospels. People believe it was the first written between 55 and 65 AD. It is also the shortest of all the gospels, just um, 16 um, chapters there. Mark records more miracles of Jesus in his gospel than any other gospel. There are 18 miracles that he records, more than the messages that Jesus speaks, because Jesus is showing us that he means what he says and he is who he says. He's not just speaking something, he is actually doing what he says. And Mark is actually fond of the Greek word euthos. I'm just giving you some background, some context. Mark is very fond of the Greek word euthos, which when translated simply means in our Brit English language, immediately which appears 41 times he uses the word immediately in like 16 chapters. Immediately, 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 Jesus, immediately, immediately, immediately. Mark is giving speed and urgency to this gospel. Many scholars call this the gospel on steroids. (laughs) It is fast. It is quick. It doesn't mess around. Immediately, Jesus left. (laughs) And to the great Roman people, to the great Roman authorities at the time, to whom this Mark is writing to, he is writing to the Roman population, those who understand Rome and those who understand what it is to be led by Roman rule, those who who understand what it is to be great and mighty, those who knew what it is to be first and definitely not last. Those who were in all about authority, all about control. The greater authority I have, the greater control I have, the greater stature I have in society. In the amphitheatres, it was who won, it wasn't who came second. It was who had the authority, who had the control. And Mark speaks right into this Roman culture from beginning to end. And he is presenting Jesus. Yes, he presents him as a king. But more importantly, in this gospel, on purpose, by the way, he presents him as the servant. You see, all the Roman people at the time who would have had money would have had a servant. And there would have been a clear distinction as to who was the master and who was the servant. It would have been very obvious. But Mark shows Jesus in this gospel As one who can raise a dead girl and then heal the lady with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. He shows Jesus to be the one who can feed the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. 
He shows Jesus to be the one who can walk on water also in Mark chapter 6. He shows Jesus to be the one who heals the deaf and the mute man in Mark chapter 7, who feeds the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8, who heals a blind man at Bethsaida in Mark chapter 8, who gives blind Bartimaeus his sight back in Mark chapter 10, (laughs) and yet has all the authority and all the power, chapter after chapter, to heal and to provide and to speak and to turn situations around. He has the, all the authority and he has all the power. That is not in question, but yet still has the time and still has the humility to serve. Don't tell me just because you have authority and just because you have power and you have a position, don't tell me you can't serve. It is possible to be a king and to be a servant. Sometimes we think I can only be a king. You can be a king, Jesus shows us, and a servant. And whatever your working world is like, no matter how many staff you have, no matter how big your budget is, and no matter how big your leather office chair might be, all of us have the ability to be a master or a leader or a king and still have the ability to serve. You see, the actual purpose of given authority, the actual purpose of the power that Jesus has been given with is precisely for that reason. It is to precisely serve. It isn't to, like Jesus says, lord it over them like the Romans are doing to the Gentiles. In Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, Jesus is saying it's the opposite to how the Romans rule. They lord it over the Gentiles. They want to remind everyone who's in control. But I say to you, don't be like that. Be one who is open-handed and be one who is willing to serve. I would suggest today that one of the main reasons our world is in a mess is because we have people who are obsessed with power, people who are obsessed with authority, and they believe they should only be served. And yet Jesus turns the whole narrative around and said, actually, it's better to serve than it is to be served. And so now we have a large society. We want everyone to do stuff for us, but very few of us are willing to do stuff for others. So I want you to come and collect and empty my bin, but I'm not prepared to take my neighbor's bin to the end of the road. Well, I want you to come and do this for me because that's a service that I expect. Do you not know my authority? Do you not know my salary? Do you not know my family name? Do you not know my heritage? And yet Jesus says, I don't really care about any of those things. I am the son of God, the king of kings, and yet I have still come to serve. It's about service. He's saying greatness isn't found in how many people you have serving you. Yeah, but I've got a massive entourage. I've got people who hold my phone. I've got people who hold my water. I've got people who run my own Instagram. I don't even know my Instagram password. I've just got people who do it for me. 
Greatness isn't found in how many people you have serving you. Greatness is found in how you can serve others. Imagine the Romans as they read this book on paper that Mark has written and it's starting to get distributed amongst the Roman community like a newsletter would, like an email that you receive every Thursday and you open from your church north email. Gets distributed. You can imagine the Romans reading it as their servant is just at the side of them, on waiting for them for whatever drink they next demand, whatever food item they next demand, and the Roman is reading it. Imagine they're reading this passage as they look at their sweaty servant standing, waiting to serve on them hand and foot as they read. Actually, it's better to serve than to be served. You see, at the beginning of Mark, in fact, at the beginning of Matthew and Luke, those three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the three gospels which are the most similar, John is very different. 98% of John is different to the three other gospels. But in the three synoptic gospels, they all start the same. And they all start, really, with... Over, over a few chapters, they start with what we'd call the preparation of John the Baptist to prepare for Jesus. Then they talk about the baptism of Jesus and how the heavens opened and Jesus, God said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I spoke about that yesterday in the book, last week in the book of Matthew, you can catch up on that. Then the Bible says Jesus went straight from his baptism to the testing in the wilderness. Notice the pattern, which is not an accident, that there is a a preparation time for all of us that we have to go through. Then there's often a great time of like, just God does something awesome and we get baptized or we just sense like an open heaven over our life and we're like, man, we're ready to go and this is going to be awesome. And then boom, a time of testing comes. Don't be surprised if testing follows the blessing that you've just received. Don't be surprised if some greatness happens and then boom, you've hit with a challenge. It's often just indicative of scripture. But in all of those books, we find this same pattern. And then there's, I love what it says after the testing in the wilderness, which Jesus denied the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. The passage, I love what it says. The title says, then the ministry of Jesus began. Isn't that beautiful? No coincidence. Then the ministry of Jesus began. All gospel writers are trying to tell us that identity comes before mission. That the making of you before the ministry comes from you. That there is the making and the shaping of your character of your spirit, of your soul, of your priorities, of your values. There is the making and the shaping of you. It is your identity that comes before anything ministry or mission related that comes from you. We sometimes get into trouble when we try and change the world from a place of broken identity. When we try and turn the world upside down without understanding who we are in Christ. 
When we try and go for great opportunities, and I'm going to do that without actually the security of who we are, the baptism of God and the identity that we have and dealing with some difficult times. It is the shaping of you that prepares the ministry that will come from you. And what I find amazing is even Jesus needed 30 years before his ministry began. Some of you in here are 23 and you're beginning to get frustrated about what God's doing with your life. Chill out. <laughs> Some of you are 26 going, I just don't know. God's not revealing. God's not opening any doors for me. God's not, I'm, just not, I'm just not, still not sure if I should be a doctor or I should be a mechanic. Should I be a doctor? Should I be a mechanic? Should I be a doctor? Hey, guess what? You choose. <laughs> Sometimes we over-spiritualize a lot of things. There's just a time. Just enjoy being Shaped and made by God. Take your time for your identity to be grown. If Jesus can wait 30 years, you can wait 21 years. You can wait 25 years. You can wait 20. And if it starts earlier, fantastic. But don't be in a rush for the making of you to be developed. 30 years he waited. And then, boom, he's in a place where he can truly serve. He's in a place where he can truly give off, give over his life to those who needs it. And so, Mark chapter 1. Guess what happens in Mark chapter 1? This is in one chapter. Jesus announces good news. He calls his first disciples. He drives out an impure spirit. The Bible says he heals many. He then goes to take some time to pray. He then heals a man with leprosy and then he forgives and heals a paralyzed man all in one chapter. (laughs) This is the gospel on steroids. Mark is showing Jesus as the Messiah who is coming as a servant and he reveals who he is through what he does. Mark is revealing Jesus as the Messiah. He is revealing who he is. Listen to this. Through what he does. Mark explains the mission and the message of Jesus through his actions. Chapter after chapter after chapter. We don't hear much about the sermons and the great theology and the great aspects of Jesus' teaching. Because Mark is basically saying to the Romans, the man who you have heard about, he is true to his word. Look what he has done. Because sometimes it is true, actions do speak louder than words. And who you are is revealed by what you do. Who you are is revealed by what you do. In fact, um, girls, any single girls in the room right now? None, none, we have no. (laughs) Any single girls in the room right now? Are there? I'm sure there are. If you truly want to know... (laughs) If you truly want to know what that guy is like, don't just look at his posts on Instagram. Don't just listen to what he says. Don't just listen to how much money he says he has or the countries he's just got back from or all the businesses he's going to develop in the future. Don't just listen to what he says. Watch what he does. How many of you know that? Don't just listen 
Yeah, but he's got great dreams. Who cares? Yeah, but he says, he says he knows this person down here. Who cares? Watch what he does. Does he turn up to church on time or is he late every single week? Does he open the door or does he just walk out without helping the door? Does he pass containers down the aisles? Does he have a lanyard which doesn't look that cool around his neck? Or is he too cool to wear a lanyard? It is not what he says, it is what he does. Relationship advice from the book of Mark. (laughs) And so Mark has two halves to it. Has the first half, Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 10. That is the service of the servant. He's serving everyone. He's healing, he's providing, he's doing. It's almost like just a waiter. How can I help you? Yep, I'll wait. What do you need? Yep, I'll be there. Can you come and heal my daughter? Yep, I'm coming, but I just need to heal this person here and then I'll be back. He is the service of the servant. But in the second half, it is the sacrifice of the servant. You see, the servant of God exercised the powers of deity, his sovereign supremacy, but never on his own behalf. It was always on behalf of others. You see, a servant was different to a slave. A slave would take orders and it was clear who the master was. And in the, in the Bible, a servant was one who voluntarily chose to serve another. A slave was taken against his will and was made to do things. A servant would also have been paid, but it was voluntarily and they could have left at any time. That is why in the Old Testament, a slave, after seven years, had the opportunity to become what's called a bond servant. For the first seven years, they had no choice but to serve. But on the seventh year, if they wanted to stay to serve their master, no longer were they called a slave, they became a bondservant and their ear would have been pierced against the door as a sign to say, hey, I am here voluntarily. And there was a voluntary aspect to the servant. Jesus chose to serve humanity. He chose to make people better. He chose to help people. He chose to set people free. He wasn't like, oh my gosh, now I've got to do this again. Come on. He voluntarily chose to help and to bless and to serve. And without the service of Christ, we are helpless. And without the sacrifice of Christ, we are dead. I'll say that again. Without the service of Christ, we are helpless. But without the sacrifice of Christ, we are dead. And Jesus was a servant leader. The servant leaders seek ways that they can add value to others. And they primarily do that by serving people. You see, a servant leader, what they do is they share power. They don't just keep it to themselves. They share power. You, you can make a decision. You take responsibility. Sure, I can help. I can help you and you can help me. It is shared. Servant leaders put the needs of others before them. Servant leaders help and are committed to helping. And instead of people working to serve the leader, the leader exists to serve the people. How many of you know this is all the rage now in business? 
Please come to our seminar. It's going to cost you a thousand pounds on how to become a servant leader. It's this new revolution that we've just found and we'd love you to take part in it. It's amazing, this servant leadership style. Hey, 2,000 years ago, Jesus started this style of leadership. It's not a new thing. It's not come from California. It came from Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. In fact, in a recent... In a recent um, um, in fact, a recent leadership expert with no reference to Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, but like an expert when it comes to servant leadership, highlighted the 10 characteristics of a servant leader. One, empathy. Two, to be a good listener. Number three, has healing properties. Number four, awareness. Number five, has the ability to persuade. Number six, conceptualization. Number seven, foresight. Number eight, stewardship. Number nine, commitment. And number 10, the ability to build community. They are the 10 characteristics of servant leadership in the workplace. It is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's who he is. And this is powerfully shown to us in the gospel of John chapter 13. And I know we're looking at Mark, but John chapter 13 just paints this image of Jesus serving so beautifully. It was just before Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to his father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is John 13. The evening meal was in process progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and Jesus took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Have we got these scriptures on the screen? He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part from with me. And then, then Lord Simon Peter, well, don't just wash my feet. But my hands, my head, just give me a whole bath. I am ready for it. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he was finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. Notice that. Jesus put on his clothes. Because he had used them to dry everybody's feet. And he returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. (laughs) You also should wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Don't worry, we're not going to wash anyone's feet in this service today. 
I'm not going to embarrass you by calling you up and washing your feet. That is not what we are going to do today. Some people have taken this passage as we should all be washing each other's feet. I don't think Jesus means that. I think what Jesus is trying to say is no one is removed from serving the most ugly, the most smelly, and the most unattractive parts of people's lives. No one is immune. If Jesus can use his own towel to wash the dirtiest feet you ever did see, then who do we think we are to think we're too important, too busy, too experienced, too well-known, too proper to serve others? How can we say we are followers of Jesus if we are not prepared to serve? In verse 15, I have set you an example is what Jesus is saying. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm showing you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And look what it says in verse 17. (coughs) And you will be blessed, which another translation really means happy. You will be happy if you do them. You see, some people think that serving detracts from you, but serving actually adds value to you. Some people think, well, if I turn up early on a Sunday morning and I have to like, get this building ready or I have to look after kids that are not my own or if I have to you know, serve a coffee from the hub, if I have to do that, man, I, it's going to drain me and it's going to detract from me. If you do that, the Bible is very clear, you will be happy. <laughs> What I love in this church is those who serve are happy. No one is a slave in this church. We voluntarily choose to serve. And not just only in this church, but maybe in your community, maybe in your workplace, wherever it might be. Service is not simply limited to these four walls. But wherever you do life, and a lot of you do a lot of life here, (laughs) serving doesn't detract from you. It actually adds to you. Sure, it might be difficult. Sure, it might be inconvenient. Sure, it might be tiring at times. Guess what? That's where the blessing lives. And some of you in the room are swerving instead of serving. The email comes in asking if you can help. Delete that one. You see a couple of staff in the, in the hub like just battling with some chairs and swerve that one. See the car park team, two of them out there like trying to, 600 cars trying to get them on the road and you turn up in your nice Tesla and you, I'll swerve that one. Hey, if I'm the pastor of the church, sometimes we have to say it straight. Sometimes we serve instead of serve. Yeah, but I don't have time. (laughs) Yeah, but I can't, I can't, I I can't, I can't, because I can't. (laughs) Yeah, but why can't you? I just, I can't, I can't go into my can't, but my can't is kind of, I just can't right now. A few years, I plan to do it. Let me just get uni over, (laughs) then I will. Let my kid grow up first, and then I will. Let well, let me get a car first, then I will. If I live nearer, then ah, blah, blah, blah. 
And here's why I say this. Because if serving only fits my time or my passion or my gifting or my agenda, it is not serving, it's a hobby. There is an element of service which is sacrificial. It costs you. Jesus, in fact, uses his own towel and his own clothes to wash his disciples' feet. And in Mark chapter 14, we find Jesus in Gethsemane, this great garden, as he's led to the cross. And we know the prayer, if possible, Jesus, if possible, Father, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Serving is not my will. Serving is what you will. A king who would serve even to the point of death. It's no surprise why in Philippians chapter 2 we read from verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, notice that key word. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The height of your life is dependent upon how low you are prepared to go. How high God will elevate you is dependent upon how low you are prepared to go. God will raise his servants up. God will lift his servants up because at the root of a servant is humility. What is the opposite to humility? Pride. And pride is not a kingdom value. Pride is not welcome in the kingdom of heaven. Pride has no place in the kingdom of God. That is why when the disciples are arguing, like we read at the beginning, who can sit at the left? Who can sit at the right? Who's going to be the greatest? Surely it's going to be me. Jesus is like, guys, he does a team talk and he gathers around, gathers around Mark 9.35. And I, I, it says, sitting down, it's almost like Jesus sat down. Let me get on your level for a moment. Called the 12 and he says, anyone, Mark 9.35, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and also the servant of all. The next verse, verse 36 Jesus then says, and also whoever welcomes one of these little children, in fact, is welcoming me. Whoever welcomes these little children, the most 
apparent, insignificant, vulnerable, small, not that important, doesn't have any power, doesn't have any kind of control, has very nothing, no authority whatsoever. But the humility will say, whoever's prepared to serve and look after the smallest, the lowest, the most insecure, the most unvulnerable people in society, Jesus is saying, that is who I am calling you to serve. You see, serving isn't a good thing to do. Serving is the heart of God. Serving is in fact who God is. And so Jesus is the king in the book of Matthew. But in the book of Mark, Jesus is the servant king. And he does things and he leads in a way which we look at and we have a choice. I can do that. I can replicate that. I can follow that and I can serve how Jesus served in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet.